Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. David Center's one-timer score, Oscar Clefbaum, and Edmonton strikes again in overtime. This time, it's Clefbaum. He'll swing it out to the outside, and it is to the end zone. Touchdown, Eskimos. Darrell Walker with the touchdown, and the Eskimos take the lead with less than a minute to go. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Phil Mickelson running after his putt. Oh my goodness. I'm going to be laughing about that for years. We'll discuss a little bit about Mickelson's intentional rules violation later on tonight with Ian Leggett, Canadian golf analyst with Sportsnet, former PGA Tour golfer, former champion on the PGA Tour. That was just bizarre. My buddy texted me Saturday. I I, I, had, I was watching the coverage and I just shut it off because I, I had to go out for a bit. And my buddy texts me and he says, I just saw Phil's weird little moment. And I was like, what did he do? At the start of the video, I thought, okay, he's running after the putt and he's going to mark it. No, he's just going to hit it while it's rolling and take a two-shot penalty. Anyway, Ian Leggett will check in a little bit later on. You can check in by texting 630-630 or by calling 780-496-0063. My name is Reed Wilkins. It is Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 630. Ched, the Oilers getting set for the draft on Friday and Saturday. The Eskimos 1-0 getting set for their home opener on Friday. We're going to have a really cool doubleheader on Friday. We'll have first round draft coverage starting at 4. We'll go up until the Oilers pick and then we'll throw you into the countdown to kick off with David Morley and they'll call the Tiger Cats and Eskimos game right here on 630 Chet. Then Saturday morning more coverage from the draft. Now Jason Moss, the head coach of the Edmonton Eskimos, will be in studio with Morley Scott from 7 30 to 8 tonight. We have that every Monday for you. The Eskimos coaches so on 6.30, Chad. I can tell you the injury bug is chomping away already. According to the CFL transaction list, offensive line Tommy, offensive lineman Tommy Draheim, defensive lineman Mike Moore, returner Jamil Smith, and linebacker Adam Konar have all been placed on the six-game injured list. Four guys on the six-game injured list in the wake of that thriller extended play victory in Winnipeg on Thursday night. Now, the Eskimos have signed three players. The name you need to know the most is Bond. Travis Bond, offensive lineman, former CFL All-Star with Winnipeg. He was released by the Saskatchewan Rough Riders at the end of training camp. The offensive line today 
left to right at practice, O'Donnell, Bond, Sorensen, Beard, and Kelly. So that's how it shakes down for the Eskimos, who are very beat up. More on Well, a little bit beat up. More on that later with head coach Jason Moss. All right, the uh, hockey news today, as well as getting ready for the draft, Barry Trotz resigns. Not resigns, resigns as head coach of the Washington Capitals. To talk about that and more from the NHL on Rogers, that's our old buddy Jeff Merrick. Jeff, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Uh, Reed, I'm great. Good to hear from you again. How you been, pal? I've been very well. It's good to talk to you. Hopefully we'll get to uh, see you in two or three days as we're both heading to Dallas for the NHL draft. But, man, before we dive into that stuff, the uh, big news today, this doesn't happen often. The team that wins the Stanley Cup will have a different coach when we get back to work on the ice in the fall. Barry Trotz not sticking around with the Capitals. Uh, yeah, which is uh, a little bit disappointing, certainly for the Washington Capitals, certainly for their fans, perhaps not so much for Barry Trotz, who will you know, uh, enter, the, enter the market now as a uh, free agent with a Stanley Cup in his hip pocket. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm curious as to, to what the reasons are, uh, whether it is you know, a reason of decimal points that they couldn't come to the number that Barry Trotz should probably be compensated at. You know, most indications are somewhere between the area of 3.5 to $5 million, or was it an issue of personnel clash? Um, I mean, at the end of the season, both Brian McClellan and Barry Trotz were saying the same thing and trying to get a deal done, but there's some things to iron out. You wonder if it was a personality issue, maybe with other people on the bench uh, that led to Barry Trotz resigning. Let's not forget that you know, as much as everything was, you know, great for the Washington Capitals uh, at pretty much every level during the playoffs and certainly in the Stanley Cup final read, you know, this was a fractured team last summer. Like, this was this was a team that was as far off the same page as you can get, uh, and it took some really heavy lifting to get everybody back and pulling in the right direction. So um, we're sort of left at this point, unless someone either from the Capitals or Barry Trotz himself wants to comment, as to uh, why exactly Barry Trotz uh, will not be back with the Washington Capitals. Yeah, that's an interesting story. I'm sure uh, more to come on that in uh, in the days and weeks to come for sure. And, and uh, like I said, uh, pretty rare for the team that wins it all to, to have, a, have a new coach the following season. So there's something else to keep an eye on. Hey, the the, the draft is the draft is coming up. Um, number one, I think is. Not going to be debate. I'll say this quickly about Rasmus Dalin. Depending on who you talk to or read about Jeff, he's either the next coming of Nicholas Lindstrom, of uh, Eric Carlson, or of Drew Doughty. I think Buffalo <laughs> Buffalo would be happy with option A, B, or C, or a, or a combination of all three. Yeah, who you talk to as well. You know, I made the joke. Uh, you know that uh, eventually, as we continue to hyperbole about hyperbole about Rasmus Dalin, eventually someone's going to finally say. And this young Swede was a young man who invented oxygen. But really, when you, when, when, you, when you look at, you know, when you look at hockey now, and just how hockey has evolved, uh, and where hockey position to position has evolved, too, up front, you look at, you know, Connor McDavid, who's that, you know, the new age player uh, for the modern era, who grew up, you know, not having to, you know, stop playing a certain way and learn a new style of hockey. This is all that he's known, and he's the best at it from his, from his age group and beyond. Um, and I think you're starting to see in, in a player like Rasmus Dahlin what Connor McDavid brought to the, the forward fold. Now you're starting to see that from a defenseman. And we've not seen a prospect like this um, since I don't know when. He's defensively sound. He's creative offensively. 
Uh, he gambles, but he gets back. And the unique thing about Rasmus Salin as well, uh, as he's not shy about stepping up on a guy in the neutral zone. Loves it when it gets physical as well. So, you know, he's a... If we're just going to use Swedish defenseman, he's that combination of, you know, Lidstrom, Victor Edmund, you know, with a, with a dash of, uh, of Eric Carlson. And... Uh, you know, and on all of that with a, a large dose of, uh, of physicality as well. So uh, it'll be his name that's called first. That's the obvious one of the of the draft this year. Um, and good for Buffalo. And now you can start to look at the development of the Buffalo Sabres and see what's on the horizon. Down the middle, you got two big centers in Jack Eichel and Casey Middlestat. And now you start to complement that uh, with Rasmus Dallin. And now finally, Buffalo has in place three key pieces that they can start to, to build their team around. I don't think the the, the top uh, few picks are going to be that unpredictable. I, I, you know, I think Svechnikov's going to go number two. Obviously, yep. Kachuk and Zadina are, are very highly thought of. Then it might get a little muddier. And one guy who seems to have shot up here a lot, Jeff, in the last couple of weeks in the way teams are talking about him and some of the lists we see put out and stories we hear, Jesperi Kotkaniemi, who, you know, depending on where yep. you look at the rankings, you know, a month ago people might have said, oh, he's going to go 16 to 20 or somewhere like that. I mean, now I've even seen some people speculating he could go as high as three. I, I don't know if he's going to jump up that high, but, uh, you know, finished player, obviously, who's worked a lot on the skating. You hear a lot about his willingness to, to play physically and, uh, you know, that, that great hockey word that sometimes is hard to define, but, but a lot of uh, praise for his character, too. He's going to be an interesting one for yep. me to see where he actually goes. I'm with you 100%, and uh, we know the Montreal Canadiens covered the player very much. They've been looking for centers for quite some time, as we all know. Uh, I don't think that they're prepared to take him at three, which is why Montreal is offering that pick um, to just about any team that will listen. Uh, I don't expect Montreal to make the pick at three. I think they're looking to move down to figure that they can get Kakanyemi uh, a little bit later. How far down is the question? I don't know that they can get past six. Uh, read, which leads me to believe that Arizona and Montreal are not done dealing. Uh, they made a deal on the weekend, as you know, Alex Lachenyuk in exchange for Max Domi. I don't think these two sides are done with the wheeling and dealing because I'm pretty confident in saying Montreal is looking to move down, figuring they can get Kotkaniemi, as you mentioned, the left shot center out of Finland, um, probably as low as five, maybe six if you're lucky. And that puts them in Arizona and Detroit territory. So, um, to me, and in a lot of ways, people have said this as well, the NHL draft this year starts at number three. The question is, who's going to be the pick there? And maybe more importantly, Reed, which team will be making that pick? Because Montreal is talking to a lot of teams about moving it. Yeah, that's a great point you bring up about the Canadians wanting to move it and how far they risk moving down. That's going to be a fun storyline for sure. Yeah. Jeff Merrick from Sportsnet joining us on Inside Sports, talking a little bit about the NHL draft coming up Friday and Saturday. The Oilers are at 10. There's a lot of defensemen available. The Oilers, I mean, you can never have enough D in your organization, and the Oilers are still trying to build that up. You know, I know when you talk about names like Hughes and Bouchard and Dobson, you know, you, you, you read a lot of, well, they, they, one of those guys might might be there for the Oilers, but but not totally sure. But it seems the one name that, that, that I keep coming back to, and I got the interview with this young man a couple weeks ago, is is Ty Smith out of Spokane. And, you know, it, it seems like he's probably going to be there at 10. It just depends what other defensemen might be there for the Oilers as well. But Ty Smith, you know, not a huge guy. He told me he's sick of being called undersized, but the reality is he's going to be called that for, for a while probably. But yeah. he's an intri- intriguing prospect to me. 
Yeah, he's certainly a great skater, former first overall draft pick in the Western Hockey League, as you all know, Reed. And uh, I'm with you. I like the player a lot. Um, I think he'd be a nice pick at 10. I think you're bang on. I don't think Noah Thompson is going to be available there. I don't think Evan Bouchard uh, will still be on the board. Nor do I think that Quinn Hughes from the University of Michigan will be there. I don't think he gets past the Rangers' latest at 9. Um, but Adam Bulkfist, uh will be there. Right-hand shot, skill set similar uh, to Quinn Hughes. I would expect him to be around at that uh, in that area, as with Ty Smith. So if Edmonton's looking for a defenseman, the two players that jump out, I mean, Bodie Wild will be there uh, as well. But the, the, the two, two key players that many of us expect still to be there at 10 when the Oilers pick as far as defenseman goes, Adam Bulkfist, the, uh, the Swedish defenseman. Again, he is. I hope Ty Smith's not listening to him. He used the same word, undersized. Uh, and I think Ty Smith will certainly be there as well. So if you're looking for defensemen, you're at Edmonton Oilers. I would expect Adam Bilkis and Ty Smith to be your choices. All right, Jeff, I always find a way to ask you a bit of a curveball. So here it is tonight. Phil Mickelson hitting a ball while in motion. What's the hockey equivalent of that? <laughs> <laughs> Pushing the net off, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> Oh, let's see. Phil Mickelson. It was a it was a great moment too. I laughed my head off when I saw it. Uh, hitting the play while well, the ball. Or how about interfering with the puck while you're skating to the bench on a line change? Well, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. Would that work? That'll work. That'll work. Even though technically, yeah, technically you're off and you still interfere and kick the puck to a teammate and maybe send him in on a breakaway. <laughs> that's the thing that comes top of mind. That that comes top of mind to me, Reed. That's a good one. Jeff, thanks for weighing in today. It's going to be fun to catch up to you in person in Dallas. This draft will be really intriguing to follow, buddy. All the best. I look forward to our, our yearly chat of the draft. We both lie to each other, read, and tell, tell each other how good a runner we are. This is Mike Riley from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chet. Mike Riley, brilliant in the Eskimos season opening win over Winnipeg. They're back at it on Friday, home opener against Hamilton. We'll have it for you here on 6.30. Ched Morley Scott hosting the Eskimos Coaches Show from 7.30 to 8 this evening. Jason Moss will be in studio. Of course, Barry Trotz resigning as head coach of the Washington Capitals. I know someone texted in, uh, didn't Barry Trotz want to spend more time with his uh, family, including his son. He has a, a son who has Down syndrome. Well, uh, I know Trotz mentioned family in uh, his statement today, but let's face it, there were contract issues here. Uh, there was a commitment to Todd Reardon, the uh, associate coach. There wasn't one to Trotz. Winning the Stanley Cup did trigger a two-year extension for Trotz. It gave him a slight salary increase. This was reported by Pierre Lebrun and a couple other people today, uh, but I don't think that was enough given how salaries have uh, for coaches have escalated over the last three or four years. So Washington looking for a coach, as are the New York Islanders. You can text 636-30. Jamie says the equivalent to Phil's putt would be Steve Finn picking up the puck and throwing it to clear the zone when he was with the Quebec Nordiques. Jamie, that's a beauty text. I don't remember that play specifically, but I'm sure it happened. And any reference to a old WH-18 that is now defunct. It shows up on some sports top tens from now and again. That's I don't remember all time bonehead plays. That's, that's so. a good one. You yeah. can text to six thirty six thirty. What you thought, thought of uh, Phil's little maneuver there? Ian Leggett from uh, Sportsnet, Canadian former pro golfer. He's going to talk about that. Also have a text here from Lauren to six thirty six thirty, who says, uh, "Hey Reed, when are you going to talk about the FIFA twenty eighteen World Cup in Russia?" 
Well, I'm glad you asked, because the answer is right now. Did you watch any of the old footy today, Kellen Kennedy? Not today. I watched yesterday uh, morning, though. I think it was Serbia and uh, who were they playing yesterday? Anyway, Doesn't I watched matter. that. Uh, uh, three morning, games so. today, England and Tunisia was a thriller. England got an early goal. Tunisia came back on a penalty. By the way, have you, did you know now they have this VAR in this tournament, this video assistant referee, Okay. so they can review fouls in the box to see if it was, well, they can review a play to see if it should have been maybe a foul on a penalty kick or if it sh- shouldn't have been a penalty kick, which, of course, as we know from video review in, in hockey and football, is just going to lead to more complaints and, and debates. So I really want to see how this plays out throughout the tournament. So England got, uh, and then England got a late goal to beat Tunisia 2-1. I, I was interested, though, I was watching the post-game interviews today on, on television. I don't know if you knew this, Kellen. The uh, coach of the English team, his name is Gareth Southgate. Okay. His assistant coaches are John Kingsway, Michael Londonderry, George Bonnie Doon, and Stephen West Edmonton. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> uh, Gareth Southgate is the coach, assisted by John Kingsway, Michael Londonderry, George Bonnie Doon, and Stephen West Edmonton. That's a great coaching staff. Yeah. Kind of makes you want to go shopping. It's a, it's a, it's a very local coaching staff, yes. Maybe for, a, maybe for a nice English soccer jersey. All right. Well, you know what else happened today? Uh, Sweden beat South Korea 1-0. And it was Belgium over Panama 3-0. Now, we are going to make an Inside Sports World Cup All-Star team. The first member from Friday, we didn't officially name to the All-Star team, but we'll do it retroactively because he was was kind of our World Cup star of the day on Friday. Nacho. And that is Nacho. Nacho. From Spain. Love Nacho. 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 Now from Belgium, but from Belgium today, two goals against Panama, joining the uh, Inside Sports World Cup All-Star team, Lukaku. So we have Nacho Ooh. and Lukaku. All right. So we'll have to have 11 guys by the end of the tournament, and that'll be our World Cup All-Star team. I guess we'll have to pick a goalie along the way. I think they have that feature now in the FIFA games, too, where you can create a team as well. So... I'll take all these teams eventually and put them into FIFA and see how good they actually are. I won't be doing that. (laughs) But congratulations to you for wanting to do that. Uh, And, uh, well, that was it. Those are the the three games today. So we have Nacho. Nacho. And Lukaku. Gareth Southgate. Coach of the English national team. He could be a coach. Uh, Ryan Marsh, congratulations to him, former U of A Golden Bear. He was on the Bears coaching staff last few years on the Edmonton Oil Kings coaching staff. Of course, they made sweeping changes a couple of weeks ago. Ryan Marsh has been hired as the associate coach of the Saskatoon Blades. So good luck uh, to Ryan. Always enjoy talking to him. He was often taking in Oilers practices when we'd uh, go to Roger's place in the morning, taking notes, learning, and uh, he'll do a good job with the Blades. Derek says, <laughs> this is a good one. Derek says, swatting the coin out of the air during a coin flip at the start of the football game would be the equivalent to the Phil Mickelson putt. <laughs> or maybe picking it up once you saw you lost it. Oh, we better do that again. Steven says, uh, I think uh, VAR will be better in soccer than in hockey if they could overturn fouls. Soccer players like to embellish more often. My dad was actually watching a few moments of the FIFA 2018 Russia World Cup. And he goes, boy, are they really in that much pain? Does it hurt that much to fall over? 
a little, little different than uh, how we see hockey players react to impact. Ian Leggett, what does he think of Mickelson? What does he think of the U.S. Open setup next half hour? This is J.C. Sheriff from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. have you tuning in tonight it is 6:33. it's inside sports on oilers and eskimos radio 6:30. ched now kellen i'm pretty sure the blue jays don't play today correct so that means if i see a game being replayed on television i don't give the score yeah which i did last week they played an afternoon game and i came in and put the tv on and gave the score for sure. A couple listeners kindly told me i think that game might have happened already now yep. i do have england and tunisia on but that's the TV. a replay that's definitely a replay because we just gave the scores earlier just gave the scores earlier. But if someone is maybe just tuned into the show and is going to go home and watch England and Tunisia, I won't mention it again for a while because we just talked about it. Fair? Fair enough. Every once in a while, someone gets mad that I give out a score because they've taped a game or something was on in the afternoon or they're going home to watch it. But I still give out scores because I kind of think we should. Yeah, we had a group of listeners that were angry at us for, uh, the what was it, the World Figure Skating Championships over the winter or something. Well, I don't know if it was a group Osmond, of listeners. Right? So. I think it was one or two listeners. Yeah, yeah. Right, because Kaylin Osmond skated in the afternoon in Edmonton, right. and it was CBC was showing it at 9 p.m. or something like exactly, that. Exactly, yeah. That's that what it was. Won. Anyway, yeah. uh, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. You can always text 63630. Uh, big thanks to Lauren for uh, reminding us to do uh, get to the soccer stuff there. Uh, Russia plays again tomorrow. Three more games coming up on the schedule. We'll keep an eye on those. We will have uh, a little more hockey talk later on. Little more on uh, the Edmonton Eskimos, of course, as we move along as well. But be, people have been texting in about it, and it was one of those bizarre moments. It'll be on the blooper reel for a while. Phil Mickelson at the U.S. Open putting a ball while it was still moving to discuss that and other things about the tournament. Former PGA Tour golfer, he's Canadian. He's with Sportsnet. It's Ian Leggett. Ian, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great after a pretty exciting weekend. Yeah, pretty compelling. A lot to talk about. Ian, let's let's not waste any time here. Let's dive right in. What was going through your mind when Phil Mickelson ran after his putt and hit the ball in motion? That was nuts. <laughs> it really was. And just, you know, as it kind of you know got more in depth and how it all unfolded, obviously, I think uh, you know a lot of people took, you know took sides with this, but I think that. You know, the hardcore golf fan and those that are really entrenched in the game found it pretty disrespectful, um, and even more so after Phil's response and, and how he did respond to the media and the reasons why he did it. I think it was uh, even more disrespectful to the game of golf, and I think it's, uh, uh, it's going to be a bit of a scar on Phil Mickelson for the rest of his life. Do you think, because look, Ian, sometimes there are rules violations in golf, even odd situations where a, a viewer has called in a rules violation. I don't know if I agree with those, but a lot of times I, you know, we'll see a player ask for help from a rules official or he'll find out after a round and say, look, I honestly didn't know, what, you know what's the penalty. Phil, as you mentioned, he obviously knew what he was doing. W- w- was that a disqualification situation in your mind? Or, were, you know, as a, as a player yourself, were you fine with the, with the two-stroke penalty? Um, well, at first, obviously, the two strokes was fine. I think as it unfolded more and his awareness of what exactly he was doing, I think he breached the rules on purpose. And I think that, you know, under the rules of golf, you know, the committee gets to make that decision. And, 
I feel they made the wrong decision. I think a point should have been made for the betterment of the game, um, betterment of kids playing the game, taking up the game of golf. And, um, you know, I said before that I don't think just because you understand the rules of the game of golf doesn't mean you get to, you know, as he said, I took advantage of one of the rules in the game of golf. But those rules are there to keep integrity and honor and etiquette in, in, in the game of golf as well. And I think Phil broke all three of those when he did what he did on uh, that uh, 13th hole on Saturday. Now, Saturday was uh, a much-talked-about uh, day. I mean, obviously, there was the the Zach Johnson interview that kind of got the ball rolling where he said, yeah, I think they've crossed the line from challenging to unfair or, or even unplayable. You know, I was watching on Saturday, and I I thought, Ian, and, and I'm obviously just a, just a fan, <laughs> but I, I'm seeing, man, it looks to me guys are some making some good shots that are hitting greens and then still winding up in tough areas. And, and as a viewer, I was frustrated because I felt these these guys are putting the ball in decent spots, but then it, it's winding up in a bad spot because the course appears to be, you know, whether the grass was cut too short or was too dried out or whatever. You, you've played. You've played in these types of tournaments and these types of tough conditions. It, were you seeing what I'm seeing on, on Saturday and what some of the guys were complaining about, or how do you look at it? No, I think some of the pin placements were very difficult, and I and I think that the way that the conditions unfolded, I think that the USGA made an error in some of those pin placements. There's no doubt about that. But that's the U.S. Open. Guys know exactly what they're going to get, and when you get dry, firm conditions, they know what the USJ is going to deliver to them. And the USJ has to do a better job at setting up the golf course. I don't necessarily. I think there has to be anything done about the firmness of the greens and the difficulty of the golf course. I mean, the USJ gave guys 40, 50, 60 yard fairways to hit into all week, which is against uh, sort of the normal standard of distance. They did the same thing last year at Aaron Hills. uh, So um, I think they gave them plenty of opportunity to be able to hit greens. The problem here was the pin placements and and the weather that was delivered to them on the weekend. But this is an outdoor sport. I mean, we got to remember, you know, guys are thinking, you know, I've been, you know, watching guys on, you know, the armchair warrior that's uh, watching this event on uh, television saying it should be fair from the morning to the afternoon. Well, they obviously haven't watched as many British Open, so, (laughs) and they didn't watch Friday's round. Friday's round was incredibly lopsided, and Dustin Johnson played in probably the toughest conditions to be leading that golf tournament after two rounds. You can't expect the USGA to get it right every single time. The problem is they've got it wrong twice at Shinnecock, and they could have done a much better job of setting the golf course up on Saturday. Ian Leggett joining us on Inside Sports. Uh, won a PGA Tour event back in 2002. Competed in several U.S. Opens himself. Let, let me throw this one for you, Ian, before we get into some of the uh, Brooks Kepka talk and what we saw on Sunday. Fleetwood had a great round. Uh, in your career, worst weather you ever played through or, or played in? <laughs> Well, I, I think uh, I played the second round at the U.S. Open at that stage black, and it, the golf course was unplayable, and it was the year that the fans were heckling Sergio Garcia, and everything got a little unruly and got a bit out of control, um, and that was some of the worst weather I've ever played in. It was incredibly difficult, but the golf course was you know, almost completely underwater. A lot of the greens were, so I think that they, uh, again, the U.S.J. could have done a bit better job, and 
understand what happened there. But I mean, we played in, you know, I played all over the world and I played in some incredibly high winds that were borderline whether we should have been on the golf course or not. So um, it happens. That's, you know, like I said, we're, we're playing an outdoor sport here and uh, you just have to take what gets delivered to you. And sometimes it's fair and sometimes it isn't. So uh, there's guys that are going to reap the benefits of, of what happens between playing you know, the difference of five, six, seven hours sometimes, and that's just the nature of the game. Ian Brooks Kepka obviously won his second straight uh, open. That hadn't happened for almost 30 years since Curtis Strange uh, won back to back. You know, Brooks still a relatively young guy. He's only uh, he's only 28, so his best days could uh, you know likely still to come. Seeing him win back to back, seeing him play in all the other events on the tour, what has allowed him to to put it together? There, there's a lot of talented guys, and a lot of guys who always get close, but but often don't win. What's put him over the top here? Well, I think there's confidence in himself. I think he really believes that he's, you know, one of the best players in the world. He really believes he can win um, on that type of a golf course. I, I think it shows good to his game, too, and the fact that he's won on two very different venues at Aaron Hills and Shinnecock. So um, I, I think that, you know, the future bodes well for him if he can stay focused and he can stay healthy. I, I, I'm having an issue with a lot of these guys that are spending an awful lot of time in the gym. And this, this is probably one of the negative effects of the, the Tiger era in what it's done to a lot of players. When you have guys like Rory McIlroy, Dustin Johnson, um, and Brooks Kepka, guys that spend a lot of time in the gym working out to try to better their game, and they're injured all the time. Um, so I think guys have got to scale back some of that and I don't know whether Brooks is going to be, you know, thinking about doing that or not. I'm not sure, but um, that's going to be a concern going forward at 28 years old and you're already having injuries on um, playing the game of golf when you got guys that, you know, like Jack Nicholas and Tom Watson. And you look at errors before where guys suffered no injuries, uh, but I think the, the workout routines are starting to be, have a negative effect on the game of golf on the PGA Tour. So wait a minute, Ian. You, you were telling me, you know, when when you were in your your mid thirties, you weren't, you know, bench pressing five hundred pounds to get ready for a round of golf. Come on. <laughs> no, that wasn't happening. You know, there were a lot of guys working out, and I had a trainer on tour, and it was all specific training. But I, I see too many guys that are, you know, using you know different types of training methods and heavy weight. Uh, routines, and I think it's it is a bit detrimental to the game, and it's not really necessary. Uh, when you look at a guy like Gordon Speed, Justin Thomas, and some of the best players in the world, those guys work out routines. So, but it's not about how strong you can get to be able to play the game of golf. And um, I won't, you know, I'll admit that it probably has it has its advantage, but I think. The negative outcome of that, the workouts are what's caused damage. It's not the game of golf at this point. All right. Well, Ian, I, I appreciate your perspective. Um, I don't know, buddy. I, when I see uh, when I'm in a greenside bunker and I've and I've mishit it and I see it rolling that it's about to roll into the bunker on the other side of the green, I might pull a Mickelson, man. Like, I, <laughs> <'cause>, <laughs> let's just hope it doesn't start any piss fights over a two-dollar NASA at the golf <laughs> Ian, great to have you on the show. I hope we can do this again. Really appreciate your time. Yeah, I'd love to. Thanks. 
That is Ian Leggett checking in tonight, golf analyst with Sportsnet, used to play on the PGA Tour. Some feedback from Jim during that interview off the top. We talked about the Phil Mickelson violation of putting a ball while it was still in motion. Jim says, Ian Leggett is too serious. Breach the rules on purpose? Come on. Hockey players, soccer players, etc. break the rules constantly. Jeepers. That is from Jim who uh, didn't, uh, doesn't agree with Ian Leggett's pretty harsh assessment of what Phil Mickelson did. I, I, I knew, well, Jim, I won't say for sure, but I, I, was, I was pretty sure I would get a text like that tonight. It's, it's difficult to compare, in my mind anyway, it's difficult to compare what Mickelson did with a, a football player, uh, an offensive lineman being beaten, a, defensive, a defenseman in hockey being beaten, and blatantly holding. I mean, I guess you're you're obviously breaking the rules, but you've been beaten by another human being, and he has the potential to kill your quarterback, to score a goal, and that hurts your team as a whole. Golf is just you, and you're expected to call rules on yourself. And there are things in golf that you you know are obviously rules that that you shouldn't do. You know, you shouldn't uh, you shouldn't try a putt twice and only count it once. You shouldn't you shouldn't hit a moving ball. And I, and that, the weird thing about that is I, I think the rule that rule is in place a, a lot of golf rules are in place for things that might inadvertently happen but they still need to be penalized. That I I, I think that sometimes uh, you know someone's swinging a club or a ball bounces back at you and you accidentally hit it with your club again, that's what it's there for. Mickelson in that moment, and I think this is why, well, he laid it out. This is why Leggett had a problem with it. Mickelson in that moment decided to heck with it. I'm I'm just going to break the rule. Now, I think in Mickelson's mind, and he, he more or less said this in his interviews, that is Phil Mickelson with the big middle finger to the USGA. I'm one of the, Phil Mickelson, I would think, is one of the five biggest names in golf. Certainly top ten. I know he's a little older now. Maybe has been surpassed physically by some of the younger guys on the tour. I know Ian's not into all their workout schemes, but Phil Mickelson is saying, like, this This wasn't, you know, Garrett Rank doing it, the NHL referee that qualified as an amateur, right? This was one of the greatest in golf since the early 1990s. Saying, you know what, USGA, to heck with you and your stupid tabletop greens. I'm just going to go hit this putt again while it's moving Everybody's going to ask me about it. You're going to get asked about the conditions. So, again, here's here's my middle finger, right to you, USGA. That that's that's what he was doing, and I and I think that's why Ian is criticizing him. Now, uh, Jim is saying, you know, Jim is saying too serious in sports. They break the rules all the time. You know, fair enough. But that 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 was a really interesting one to me for sure. Some guests on Inside Sport gets gift certificates to Northern Chicken. Check out the new Spring Chicken menu with spring-inspired fixins. Start your salivating at northchickenyeg.com. You can always text 63630, the phone number 780-496-0063. Don't forget, Jason Moss in studio at 730. We'll catch up with former Oil Kings coach Derek Laxtall. Just went to Game 7 of the Calder Cup Final with the Texas Stars before losing to the Toronto Marlies. And did you see that fan run onto the field in BC? We'll touch on that. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. 
So the NHL draft is Friday and Saturday. We'll have coverage for you here on 6.30, Chad, starting at 4 o'clock on Friday. That's round one. We'll take you through the Oilers pick at number 10, then into the Eskimos uh, countdown to kickoff show and their home opener against the Hamilton Tiger Cats. It is wild rumor week in the world of hockey. saw over the weekend, depending on what Twitter account you may have been following, if you follow Twitter at all, that uh, Cam Talbot, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Oscar Clefbaum, Leon Dreisaitl were all on the verge of being traded by the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, I wouldn't put much stock in uh, any of those. I, I always remember during this uh, past season when we had Kelly Rudy on the show, he joined us once a week throughout the year, and he said from his playing days, once he was talking to his general manager, and Kelly was saying, geez, you know, we have this player, we have this player, he's really good, this guy's really good, I think I'm having a good season, trade deadline's coming up, we must have, you know, six, seven, eight guys that you would never consider trading. And the GM looked at him and said, Kelly, don't fool yourself. There's maybe one or two guys that I wouldn't consider trading. Everybody else, I'll, he goes, I will always listen. Maybe there's an offer out there that I never saw coming that I didn't expect that could actually help the team. So he goes, don't think that anybody is untradeable. Now, having said that, I would think it would have to be something pretty mind-blowing for the Oilers to move any of those guys, let alone all four, in the space the next week. Uh, the the Cam the Talbot one, just now, there was a report that Talbot was asked to submit his list of teams that he would be traded to, I know from talking to agents in the NHL that is fairly common practice that they're asked usually to do that at some point in the offseason for the upcoming year if they have a list. And then usually that can be revisited if it if it gets close to a trade actually being made. So phone calls happen, conversations happen pretty much all the time. But I remember what Peter Shirelli said at the trade deadline. He said there are some players on our roster that people kept asking about and I kept saying no so now they've stopped asking I, I would think at the time that would have been Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Oscar Clefbaum um, the Milan Lucic story continues to uh, develop here I know Bob was talking about it today on Oilers Now uh, Bob Stoffer saying that he doesn't think the Oilers would be willing to sweeten the pot to try to get another team to take Lucic I, I certainly would hope that that makes zero sense to me if 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 it's the if the choice is between bringing Milan Lucic back and running the risk that he really struggles again, if that's in column A, and column B is, well, let's trade him away and give up something else of value just to get rid of him. I, I think you keep him, and if he has another bad year or bad part whatever, then maybe a year from now we're talking about a buyout or giving him away or something like that. But I, I personally would not sweeten the pot to get another team to take Milan Lucic. That, does, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Maybe there's a trade out there. You know, Bob believes if, if there is a trade going to be made, uh, it would be a hockey trade. Maybe there is something out there like, like that. So uh, so we'll see. 655, you can text 630-630. Inside Sports on 630, Chad. Uh, Marcel Young, who was not one of my favorites when he was an Edmonton Eskimo because I didn't think he was a very good defensive back, made a great play on Friday night. And play hadn't even been called in yet. Drilled a fan who came onto the field. Well, you know what? He he hit him. 
Yep. He, I, I think he could have hit him a lot harder from watching the video. It was a solid check to knock him down. Fan ran onto the field. Be, and he, here's the thing. He wasn't even a full streaker. He had, he took his pants off. I think he still had his gaunch on. Yeah. Well, I know he did. I've seen he had the a Lions the jersey on. They had a Lions jersey. And I, I know there's all this, well, what if he would have hurt the guy? I have always said, Kellen, I don't find it entertaining when people run onto the field. I, I think it's, quite frankly, stupid. It's not why I go to a game. And I understand players are football, hockey, whatever. These guys are in good shape. A lot better shape than the fans that are going to come on the field. There's certainly a, 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 I would hate to see a fan get badly hurt. But I also understand the players thinking, like, get this clown out of here. This is where we're working right now. We don't need this idiot on the field. And maybe if, if I'm, I'm going to say this, maybe if a few players drill these guys coming on the field, it'll stop happening because the fans Absolutely. don't belong on the field. I have zero sympathy for that fan that ran out on the field. Now, I wouldn't be glad if he got hurt. Not at all. But that's to me, that's just one of the most foolish things you can do. You're putting yourself in a dangerous spot, and I'm glad Marcel Young popped this guy. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.